welcome to Masala History Podcast. My name is Deepthi and in this episode we will be talking about the vast, rich, encyclopedic treatise written in Sanskrit by a king of the Chalukyan Empire in early 12th century. The treatise, which is popularly known as Manasullasa, tells uh, people or at least the elite classes on how to live but at the same time gives us a glimpse of what life in 12th century South India was like. The Chalukyan Empire from which this work originated consists, consisted then of what is now modern Maharashtra, Andhra, Telangana, parts of Karnataka and parts of the Konkan Belt. What was culture like in this vast empire and how does Manasulasa allow us into a glimpse of what they ate and how they dressed and what were their hobbies? This is what we're going to do in, in today's podcast episode. But before we go there, I want to let you know that we do have a full-fledged website at www.masalahistory.com where we have show notes for this episode as well as um, associated images and if you're interested, the kinds of readings we've done and what we would love you to also go take a look. These readings are mostly scholarly in nature but still very, very accessible to anyone who's interested in the Chalukyan Empire or in Manasulasa itself. So please do visit our website at www.masalahistory.com. As always, if you have any questions, comments, you can leave it over there on our website. Or you can actually contact us uh, via our Facebook page, which is linked um, with our show notes, as well as on Instagram uh, at, at masalahistory. So without further ado, let's get into the life of uh, the 12th century Chalukyans through the work of Manasulasa and its author or its purported author, the Chalukyan king Bhuloka Malla Someshwara. Someshwara um, is said to have reigned possibly uh, from about 1126 to 1138 um, and he is said to have written Manasulasa in about 1131. Now there are a lot of people who uh, have conflicting opinions about the authorship. Some of them are of the opinion that it was uh, patronized and sponsored by Someshwara but perhaps was not written by him um, because of the vast nature of these, this encyclopedic work. Um, the initial um, author who translated this work uh, from Sanskrit to English in part um, was very vehement in denying his authorship and saying that such a work can only be done by a group of people and not just one person. In any case, for the duration of this episode, we are going to think about this this book as the production of this volume, as the production of uh, Someshwara, who was not only the king, but was a very eminent scholar of his time, as well as a poet and perhaps a musician as well. He was very well versed in Sanskrit as well as uh, Kannada and perhaps even Telugu and some of the other languages of uh, that were uh, in practice at this time. Um, he was also very well known uh, way well known as uh, as an accomplished um, uh, poet, um, author, um, and also a just king. 
born as the son of Vikramaditya VI. He was uh, the third uh, king of the Western Chalukyan dynasty uh, that ruled uh, from the capital at Kalyani uh, in in modern day Karnataka. This volume, Manasolasa, which really means um, uh, the pleasures of the mind or the enjoyment of the mind, um, is is a really, really, really vast work. Um, it it has eight thousand granthas in total, with hundred topics of instructions that are set within twenty adhyayas or chapters. And within the whole work, the, the 8,000 granthas are held within 120 chapters. Um, today, it is available as uh, many copies from different libraries. And the scholars whom I have actually read to prepare for this podcast really used a set of um, copies from three different institutions. One at the Baroda Central Library. One, one copy at the Bhandarkar Oriental Research Institute in Pune, and then a couple of cop- copies that were at the Bikaner uh, Court and perhaps possibly is also at the Bikaner Court archives um, at present. Someshwara, as I said, was from the Western Chalukyan dynasty, and um, it uh, and for a long time, it was a subordinate to the Kadamba kingdom, ruling from Banavasi, again, in um, Karnataka. The Chalukyas have been a part uh, of the southern uh, political sphere from the 6th centuries, and uh, they were ruling parts of central and southern India uh, for about 600 years, from 6th to 12th centuries, in many different forms. Um, there is debate about where the original Chalukyans came from, but most scholars now agree that they come from the modern Karnataka region um, in South India. The Chalukyan rule and the empire itself was not always steady. Uh, the first uh, Chalukyan dynasty ruled from Badami from 636 to 740 of the Common Era and they were in fact subordinate as I said to Kadamba with the capital with, with the Badami Chalukyas ruling vast regions between Kaveri and Narmada. They're also credited with the rise of a new style of Chalukyan architecture and Kannada literature flourished under uh, under the reign of uh, these Chalukyas as well as uh, in the reign of Western Chalukyas like Someshwara um, as well. We're also not sure uh, what kind of religion was followed by the later Chalukyas, um, the Western Chalukyas, especially Someshwara, who's named after um, Shiva, um, is said to have patronized perhaps Jains, Buddhists, Veerashaivites, as well as Vaishnavites. Um, uh, and for sure, it seems like it had been an eclectical religious uh, sphere with a lot of um, discussions that happened between these r- different religious groups. 
what happens is after 642 CE, um, the Eastern Chalukyas sort of splinter away from the main empire and they rule De the region of Deccan from Vengi till about the 11th century. Um, here they patron patronized Telugu literature um, um, and while, while they flourished in the Deccan, the Rashtrakuta dynasty eclipsed the Chalukyas at Badami. Long story short, West, the West Eastern Chalukyas continue in Vengi in modern-day Andhra, whereas the Western Chalukyas resurface in later 10th century from under the eclipse of uh, the Rashtrakuta dynasty, and then they rule from Kalyani, which is uh, now the modern uh, dis dis modern town of Basava Kalyan in the Bida district of Karnataka from uh, 10th to the 12th centuries. It was in this period of relative peace and um, longevity of rule that Someshwara comes to power. Uh, being the third of the line of dynasty, he seems to have inherited a kingdom that was already flourishing and he seems to by, uh, by all means um, have been an extremely um, just and re reform-oriented uh, king. It seems he would have had plenty of time to create something like uh, Manasolasa. The Manasolasa as a work um, is quite uh, amazing. It contains topics that range from medicine to governance to architecture to painting, rhetoric, astronomy, geography, food and cooking, and royal pastimes and hobbies. And these are not just mentions, there are like elaborate, as you will see later in the episode, that there are elaborate ways of describing each action. Painting is not just described as painting that is both abstract and um, representative. Painting is described uh, by means of the kinds of brushes being used, what kind of materials of pigment uh, pigments are being used, how are they procured, how are they made. So these are very detailed uh, documentation of the kind of activities that were happening in the Western Chalukyan Empire in this period. And it also acts as a didactic form um, where other people can refer to this work to learn how to do these different um, activities and uh, if it's to build a building or um, to cook a certain kind of food, um, you could actually refer to the Manasullasa. Manasullasa is also um, actually called the Abhilasha Chintamani. I've gotten the name wrong, but I will actually link it to the um, to our show notes, so be sure to check it out there. But it, it is one of those compendia that uh, has a certain order to it, but it's very vast in the way it's applied. So, for example, the section on science actually contains not just astronomy and math, but also uh, medicine and food and cooking. 
That said, uh, the person or the people who wrote it certainly knew what they were doing. Um, Manasullasa is actually written in what is called the Anusthub meter with little prose in the middle. Um, it is easy uh, to read uh, if you know Sanskrit, but it's obviously written in a florid form. That is always the case when you look at these older um, treatises. The person who wrote it, Someshura in this instance, as we are uh, going to consider for the rest of the episode, uh, not only uh, knew Kannada, Marathi and pra- maybe even Prakrit and some of the other languages, he was he seems to have been an exceptionally uh, adept uh, poet. From the section on governance, we understand that Someshura had a council of 8 to 10 ministers and that he he had uh, taxation um, which included one-sixth of the produce tax on corn sometimes that was con- give that was one-eighth or one-twelfth as a concession in case of um, less productivity of land or famine or instances such as these um, he also taxed honey and ghee and fruit gardens but there is n- really no mention of any other taxations of other produce um, although uh, that does not seem plausible um, what was also particular to this period and interesting in this context is that someshwara really of believed in medicine and the health and in fact he said it was not the wealth of the kingdom that was most important, but the health of the king. Perhaps because of this attitude, uh, the Chalukyan Empire seems to have free health care and uh, the availability of doctors who would go out into the uh, towns and the countrysides and offer free treatment uh, for those uh, with ailments. So Omishra also seems to have been a fun sort of guy who liked to mix with the people um, of all classes during entertainments and festivals and such. And um, and therefore, he seems to also have been extremely popular uh, with the public. Proceeding from the governance section comes the science section, which is as I said earlier, completely broad and overwhelming. And so I'm not going to go through all that, but um, here um, the math uh, mentioned includes integers, fractions, mixed numbers, and things that I actually don't remember from uh, secondary and uh, high school education that I received, which is very sad. Uh, But it also has um, uh, astrology and astronomy um, sort of combined together. Um, A lot of it is what you find today practiced by, um, you know, Jyotsis and uh, you see in horoscopes. Um, It also mentions um, Vastu in, in in relation with astronomy as well as in relation with architecture. Uh, medicine is given a lot of importance. Um, in fact, um, um, he says, in the author says, quote, the person who has no mental worries is the only healthy person. His works always give fruits. He's fit for the I, the galagosti and um, other entertainments. I think he means gusti, but I've got uh, the pronunciation wrong here. Um, but in in the section on medicine, he actually talks about how uh, medicines are prepared. So uh, medicines come from you know what we now today know as Ayurveda. So he describes various kinds of foods, uh, trees, plants, salts, um, and even instruments that were used in the cure of various diseases. He also goes into great 
great lengths to tell us about what kind of diseases are there and he calls jwara or fever the king of all diseases um in the same section he also talks about um geography and for the most part um for this period uh, period he actually gets most of it right he does talk about himalayas and some of the other mountain ranges um but it is when he is talking about what is known as the dakshina patha or the southern part which is obviously where his empire is located that he's most accurate uh, accurately describing the region from here on he t- starts talking about what goes into um these eight regions and he starts with um talking about how to build buildings now he this is an again a vast section and he shows various types of palaces various types of houses um it seems very exact where you can actually draw diagrams out of it in fact some of our scholars did show diagrams of these uh, various plans recommended in manasolasa what we know particularly and interesting to our context is that large buildings were often made with wood which explains why we don't see a lot of our um, architecture from this region uh, extend anymore because wood being an organic material decays quite fast all kinds of architectural structures need to go up um after checking astrology and go up in particular months days fortnights years and etc and there's a whole section on when who can build when depending on when you are born and what time of the day and year and month it is there is also a section that details out wall paintings and paintings were used to decorate not just temples but also um houses and palaces and other uh, establishments and then it seems to have been one of the very important decorative uh, techniques used because he there's an entire section on paints and pigments and um use of colors and uh, brush strokes and all those kinds of exciting details as exciting to me as an art historian but i'm not going to produce here if you want to hear more about um the architecture and art section uh leave me a comment at www.masalahistory.com or on our facebook or instagram uh page and um i can put a blog up on on those details at this time what is more interesting to me um is that they seem to have a very clear idea of how to build buildings based on um light and ventilation so for example it is recommended that latticed windows are used in the palace to block the smoke that comes from the home shala the place where um homas or uh, these rituals are that require fire are conducted different palaces are used for different seasons so it seems like the king moved with the seasons um in fact even the clothes that the king used changed from season to season as um as it would be ideal so some of it is fairly straightforward in the summer months he uses thin 
you know, cotton clothes. In the winter months, he uses wool. But then there is also colors. Like in the spring, he wears yellow, but in autumn, he wears more deep reds and browns. And it seems like a very complimentary to uh, to the weather kind of dressing that you know we might enjoy doing um, in 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 our uh, right now. Then comes the most important section in the book, or most important for me, it's about food and cooking. It is so much fun to read these books because um, you realize how contemporary some of uh, the foods are. In fact, as I was reading this work, I noticed that almost all the foods mentioned um, are some things that you still get to eat uh, in, in South Indian cuisine. Um, for example, like uh, they talk about payasa, or that is the payasam, the traditional South Indian payasam with uh, rice, um, except uh, the specifications in Manasalasa says it has to be made with good rice and the milk of buffalo delivered many days back. And along with other items like nagada churna, sugar, sugar and sugandha dravyas as in fragrant um, liquids, um, such as in our times, we would use vanilla extract, right? So it is pretty much the same recipe as the payasam that we make today in South India, but it has to be from a buffalo, the milk has to be from a buffalo, and it has to be delivered previously, and so it has to sit for a while. Um, it kind of makes me think that it might have tasted like condensed milk at the end of it. Anyway, there are um, also other uh, food items mentioned like mandaka, which seems uh, like uh, what is now our roti or parathas. There is uh, polika, which is just puran poli that is still one of the yummiest things that you can eat um, in South uh, South India for sure uh, and one of my favorites and then there is purika which is puri and then they have dosaka which definitely is dosa except uh, it's more like the pesarata or the adai dosa that you find in Andhra, Andhra uh, in the Telugu and Tamil speaking regions today um, there is also idarika oh pardon Pardon the movement. If you heard that noise, it was me accidentally, you know, hitting the mic. <laughs> but um, to continue, the idariga is really idli, except the idli is seasoned with hing, that is as a fetida, cumin paste, and it is made sour before it is steamed. There is also something like vada and, uh, you know, the medu vada, the one with the hole in the middle. And uh, that vada was actually put in like a rice gruel and eaten. A lot of masala was n not used as it seems. Uh, the only masalas that I could see were cumin, turmeric, uh, hing or asafetida and some sort of chili. So it seemed to have been a very limited masala palette. We also don't know if there were any curries used. The curries are not really mentioned by at least the scholars that I've read. But it seems that cooking and eating food was an important part of uh, the rituals of the Chalukyan Empire. Um, it's not only vegetarian food that is mentioned. There is also mention of meat and fish. With meat, it says cook meat on a mild fire, which, you know, it's a, really a general a general rule for meat. That makes sense. You have to cook meat at a low fire. Um, and then um, it also gives like practical information, like how to get the hair off a pig or um, that you can eat a particular kind of mice that lives in the fields near the river. 
With fish, it actually gives certain recipes which sound really interesting. And there is at least one recipe that seemed very similar to the Mangalore fish fry that you get today. And in the fish ingredients, there is always, always, it says, start by salting the fish with uh, turmeric and salt so that the smell goes away. This is, if you, if you are a non-vegetarian and you eat fish, this is something you always do. You never leave the fish as it is. You want to first, you know, tenderize it with salt and turmeric. But then there is an actual recipe, um, which is in, I think, stanza 1530 and 1531, which says, Cut fishes into pieces and wash them well. Cook along with tamarind juice. Sprinkle well with wheat flour. Fry in heated oil till brown. Add rock salt. Sprinkle powdered cardamom and pepper. Um, I got this <laughs> recipe, this translated recipe, from this great uh, um, article uh, that was on the Agri-History Journal, uh, written by Nalini Sadhale and Vayal Nini. And I uh, highly recommend you to go and read these articles, which I will have linked um, on our website. I really want to do try this recipe of the fish. Uh, but there is something else that I read that I don't want to test, which is in stanza 1535. It says... Take out the scrotums of a fish and roast them in fire. When hard, cut into pieces and fry in heated oil. Add powdered cardamom, pepper and rock salt and season with asafoetida. That scrotum dish does not sound very appetizing, so I'm not going to try that. But... I really do want to try um, uh, the one with the tamarind juice because it seems very much like uh, the Mangalore fish fry uh, that's battered in rice flour uh, that you can have uh, on the Kunkan coast today. Along with this, there is a vast list of um, do's and don'ts for cooks and how to select a cook and all that, of course, uh, for vegetarian food and non-vegetarian cooks. Uh, non-vegetarian foods there were separate cooks and cooks uh, were had to be some of the most trustworthy people because you know they shouldn't be able to says Manasulasa be bought by the enemies because uh, food poisoning and the constant threat on the king's life was very real at this time in the cooking section there's also a section on wine um, it talks about the different kinds of wine. For example, it says there's uh, a type called Pandura, there's one, th one type called Panessa. Um, I'm guessing they are like Riesling and Zinfandel or whatever other uh, wines uh, we kind of use today. Then there is one which says uh, it's called Astara and this wine has, is made out of good grains and gold. Hmm, that sounds interesting possibly a white wine right and then he goes on to say that you know there is good and bad to wines a good a good is that it increases pleasure and decreases sorrow and that it is a friend uh, the bad uh, effects are obviously that it removes modesty or humility it destroys memory it creates diseases intoxication dilution and sloth so there's a very clear understanding of what alcohol does to your body and uh, the fact that it comes after the section on medicine it clearly kind of uh, puts a uh, gives you an idea of um 
what was good and bad and what should be taken in moderation here. There is also a section on drinking water, which I found really interesting because it seems like um, this is something of very important concern to the king. So it says the king has to drink water often during meals to give it taste and to help digestion and to drink water generally at all times. Um, the water has to be kept in an earthen or leather pot and purified with tripala and it should be drunk from golden vessels. It also says you have to drink water from certain sources uh, during certain seasons, perhaps because of water contamination that might be happening. There is also a section on communal eating and how kings should eat with their grandsons, sons, relatives and special servants, how the dish should be served and other kinds of uh, details including the proper courses in by which the king should be eating his meals. And as we do today in South India, every meal starts with rice and ghee which I found really interesting. Then comes this large section in Manasulasa about what is called Upabhogas, enjoyment. And this actually gives us a, a look into what his life was like or the different rituals that went into living the kingly life at this time in South India. So there's a, a bunch of them and I'm not going to go through all of them, but it goes Gruha Bhoga, this is you know, the enjoyment of house, Nana Bhoga, enjoyment of bath, which is really awesome to read about, this Paduka Bhoga, which is sort of taking care of your feet, essentially pedicure, uh, this Tambula Bhoga, which is eating beetle leaves, the pan that we eat today, this mala bhoga, which is uh, enjoyment of garlands, um, and so many others. There are also mentions of different kind of vinodas or pleasures at this point. Um, of this, I'm really interested in Shastra Bhoga or fighting because there are many kinds of fighting mentioned. And while mentioning fighting, there's also, of course, the mention of hunting. And the hunting actually dissolves into a discussion of uh, the proper kind of procurement and use of elephants and uh, also dogs. Manasulasa kind of spends a lot of time talking about um, the capture, training, use and misuse really of elephants, which means elephants were very important to this culture as it is today in many parts of India. There's also mention of other kind of sports like uh, Indian polo. Um, there is also duels um, that can be actually seen from a gallery that's constructed ex expressly for the, that purpose. Um, wrestling. There are also, it says, cockfights. It's called Tamra Chuda Vinoda. And the king is also can take part in these cockfights. King can actually take part in any of these fights, but especially the cockfight, the king is supposed to fight with his queen's cock as the chief opponent. Hmm. That's very Freudian, um, I think. <laughs> but uh, only in certain months is he supposed to uh, take part in the cock fights. The successful cock, <laughs> this is a very funny thing that I found uh, in, in this description. It says, after the cock fight, the successful cock is taken through the city in procession on the back of an elephant. <laughs> that would be uh, quite funny to see a rooster on top of an elephant. Um, it seems like one of those um, funny, start of one of those funny stories. Then there is also fighting with quails, rams, buffaloes, pigeons. 
and of course um, fighting with elephants. Now, those who love elephants and who are very uh, PETA-like or PETA-adjacent, you want to not listen to some of this about elephants because, um, frankly, like some of the things that you know is mentioned here sounds like very, uh, very much about uh, torturing these poor animals. Uh, but then um, we have to consider this as from a very different uh, time, right? So, uh, Manasulasa just goes into the details of how to use elephants both for fights, like, you know, play fights, as well as uh, war. And so it really starts by saying that rotting elephants need to be trained to fight the wars against Yavana. It says that before any fight begins, this is not about war, but when, you know, elephants are fighting as a game, uh, drummers are supposed to go outside and proclaim to everyone so that and it says, quote, fat men, pregnant women, children, disabled and old people, end quote, can get out of the public thoroughfare so that there is no danger to their lives. So even when these ha things happen, there is an intrins intrinsic interest in the welfare of the public for Someshwara that they are actually warned beforehand that this is happening and you should get out of the way because you can never say what will happen with the elephants. Then comes the really weird part. Good runners are invited to run with elephants for money. And this is how um, it happens. The king should ask them to state their reasons as to why they ventured to run with the elephants. On hearing them, he should give proper answers. Then it goes on to say, Manasulasa goes on to say there are three kinds of runners and then basically the total space of the arena is divided into three different parts. Now, the runner who's able to maintain his position within each part is considered the winner. The runner, if he uh, wins all of it, then he's considered the winner of the race itself. Of course, if he's overtaken by the elephant, then really he's dead. The runner who actually leaves the track fixed for running and goes astray or takes a zigzag course also gets defeated in this context. But he actually who runs and succeeds is given a lot of different kinds of rewards. If it's not death, then you become really rich. So I guess that's the attraction of this particularly dangerous game. Elephants are goaded into, um, into these games by preparing them to fight with other elephants. At the same time, female elephants actually kept... Um, uh, around the corner, so to speak, so that they can come in and control elephant that's actually going out of control. Different kinds of mechanisms by which to goad the elephant to getting more angry because elephants really are quite a passive animal and calm most of the time so here they're extra goaded into making them angry and some of these uh, um, these ways include chaining the elephant and pulling it beating it with the uh, elephant goad itself, uh, bringing other elephants and then uh, making them hit each other on their foreheads. Um, it is a plethora of what would today be animal torture. Just like elephants are classified and dogs are classified, um, 
sadly enough, women are classified as well. So in the section on the enjoyment of women, um, Manasulasa goes into describing four different types of women, Chitrini, Padmini, Hastini and Shankini. Um, and then there are subcategories called Murugi and Vadava, I think, or maybe Vadava, maybe Vadava. In any case, these women and their different kind of qualities are described in a lot of details. It talks about the virtuosity of women and how to select women as the king's consorts. Arguably, Hastini, who's supposed to, the type of woman is supposed to look like an elephant, is the one that is the least uh, favored because uh, she's considered not beautiful. And so... Um, uh, the the text actually goes into a lot of description about how you can't find a woman having all the qualities that's needed, but like, you know, just don't go near Hastini and maybe Shankini as well. There is also a discussion about sex and sexual uh, intercourse. Uh, and the discussion goes into depth about Linga and yoni combinations, as in what penises and what vaginas are sort of ideal in combination, and things like that, which are uh, very interesting in itself, but also quite um, unscientific, I would say. That said, uh, while the treatment of women is not uh, ideal, it is to be expected in, in these um, older texts. Someshura seems to have been, by all accounts, also a very loving person. Um, there is a section on children and it talks greatly about the enjoyment of childbearing and rearing children. In basically many of the uh, stanzas in this section, it uh, produces the image of the king as very affectionate and uh, kind and uh, in love with uh, his family. Uh, the princess, uh, after their upanayana at 8th or the 11th year, is supposed to be taught Vedas, weapons and other sciences. Um, this section also talks about marriage customs, uh, which the author Sri Gandekar, um, who first translated this work in the 1920s and 30s, say, say that the marriage customs really appear like Maratha customs that was uh, prevalent in the early 20th century, where the bride and groom is brought face to face before Kanyadan with a screen between them and then the chants are recited. And after the screen is removed, they place garlands on one another. If any uh, people from uh, Maharashtra are um, listening to this and or are Marathi and uh, and you think this is how your wedding still happened, please drop in a line so that I can confirm um, it. I'm really curious. Other things in Manasulasa is about music and dance. The king is said to be said to have played many different musical instruments. Um, it also uh, enumerates the kind of dances and when each dance has to be performed, what kind of instruments to be used. And then finally, it says the king, quote, himself should dance with rasa and bhava attractively. Manasulasa wants wants the king or anybody aspiring to the, be a king to be an all-rounder. He has to be good in sports. He has to be good at music and dance. He has to be good at governance, of course. He has to be um, uh, culturally uh, very adept as well as uh, socially. Um, he has to have a family, but he also has to know all these different things, including the Vedas and um, the Puranas and the epics as, and, and astronomy and math. And 
In a sense, he is the complete man. So Manasulas's work is about creating a person who can rule the empire but also create a person who's so perfect that others can look up to him and say that he is ideally he ideally should be the king. So the entire purpose of this treatise is didactic of course and it's encyclopedic uh, for us who are looking at it from you know uh, the 21st century but in effect it it is really about how to maintain power and to maintain power you have to have a certain kingly persona and the and the work is really propagandistic in that way because then um I, these kind of uh, values need to be imbibed by whoever wants to come to power. The Western Chalukyan Empire dissolves after the 12th century and is succeeded by the Hoysalas who ruled from Belur Halabidu and Kakatiya dynasty from Warangal and Yadava dynasty in Devagiri in modern Maharashtra. And these three uh, dynasties or empires sort of take over what was previously the Chalukyan Empire. But in the in the course of, of the empire, it seems to have produced great, great works, both of architecture as well as in terms of literature and Manasulasa is one of those works that's been left to us from the 12th century Chalukyan world. Someshura also appears to have written a biography of his father Vikramaditya VI, a biography that talks about the the perfect persona of King Vikramaditya and which has actually led many scholars uh, to conclude that Someshwara indeed is the author of uh, Manasullasa as well. In either case, Manasullasa is a tremendous work uh, which gives us a glimpse into what life was like in um, 12th century Western Chalukyan If you like this episode, please um Give us a like, thumbs up button um, if you are on uh, iTunes or any of the other um, Android apps through which you can listen. Please leave us a rating. In the next episode, we are going to talk about um, the 6th century um, Hindu scripture of Devi Mahatmya and about the power of the great goddess. So till then, it's bye from me, Titi. Um, see you soon. Thank you.